Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you live this evening on this Wednesday, April 10th. I'm sorry, Tuesday, April 10th, 2012. And as you can tell, it's always confusing for me to figure out what date it might be for you because I'm over here in Japan where it is currently not sunny, like I usually say, but uh, unfortunately rainy. At any rate, thank you once again for tuning in for this evening's broadcast. I will be your host for the next hour as we go through the news and headlines, and we are scheduled to have on our old uh, our old friend and regular guest Eric Shine of CrossingTheRubicon.org, although uh, he's not online to be found yet, so uh, we will uh, continue trying to get him for you. And in the meantime, I just wanted to break down some of the stories that are making uh, headlines around the world right now, and I'm not just talking about the faux political melodrama of Santorum dropping out of the race so that Romney can assume his position as the anointed one, but uh, also some very interesting stories coming out from around the world, including this one from PrometheanPost.com, NATO silent on Libya operation consequences. And isn't that very telling, isn't it? Because as I've been saying since this entire NATO-Libyan campaign went down, the humanitarian bombs for peace happened, I've been saying that uh, that funny how that uh, that entire Libyan situation just disappeared off the face of the earth, according to the uh, mainstream media. That now no longer wants to talk about Libya and what's happening there. Now they want to talk about what's happening in Syria and uh, Libya. What's that? Oh yeah, that was a problem that had some. That was a country that had some problems last year, but now now it's someone else's problem. I, I, we don't have to care about that anymore. So here uh, here's on Promethean Post. It says NATO has yet not has not yet provided a full accounting of the effects of its intervention in Libya last year, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Thursday. The international NATO-led military operation in Libya began on March 19, 2011, two days after the approval of a UN resolution on targeted measures to protect civilians to protect civilians from ongoing clashes. But ongoing clashes, man, we could break this down in so many ways, between forces loyal to former leader Muammar Gaddafi and rebels seeking his overthrow. Our NATO partners have not yet given an accounting of their actions in Libya and the consequences of the ongoing crisis there on other North Africa countries, Lavrov said, adding that the U.S.-led alliance has so far avoided a fair discussion on the Libyan post-crisis syndrome, which is a nice little quote, and I might steal that from Mr. Lavrov if he doesn't mind, the Libyan post-crisis syndrome. So there you go, there's the Russian foreign minister calling it like he sees it, as he generally tends to do, so... For those of you out there who have not been following the pronouncements of this very interesting character, this uh, Sergei Lavrov, uh, I, I would very much suggest that people do uh, keep an eye on what he's saying, because generally he's speaking what seems to be self-evident truths in the face of the, uh, the just the absolute Orwellian spin that we're seeing in the mainstream media in North America and in Western countries, of course. So, for example, we could uh, take a look at a recent story, uh, Lavrov Syrian violence will stop if all sides participate in the peace process. Well, again, that's just absolute basic bedrock almost truism. I mean, how could you refute that? If both sides take part in the peace, then the fighting will stop. And yet we're still being told that it's a good idea to be arming the Syrian opposition, quote-unquote, because we all know it's just a ragtag bunch of uh, mercenaries and killers for hire, basically. And uh, if you stop arming them, maybe they'll stop fighting. 
But uh, apparently that kind of logic is lost on the so-called self-appointed friends of Syria who want you to believe that they're doing, they're doing the great work of arming the opposition so that they can fight against the Syrian army in a way that will somehow stop the Syrian army. I don't really understand what the uh, intention there is, except we all know the underlying intention, which is just to get a foot in the door of that country. Anyway, I understand we have Eric Shine on the line, so after this break, we'll be right back with Eric Shine of CrossingTheRubicon.org to talk about martial law in the USA. Broadcast friends, we are here on Corbett Report Radio on this Tuesday evening, and we're coming to you live on republicbroadcasting.org and KHFX 1140 AM as every night. So thanks once again for tuning in. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Eric Shine of CrossingTheRubicon.org, and it's been a while since we've had him on the program, so Eric, thank you once again for your time this evening. Hey, James, appreciate you having me on the show. Well, let's uh, let's bring people up to date about where you are and uh, what's going on with your case uh, against the Coast Guard. Well, it's it's bigger than that, and the Coast Guard is basically a de facto branch of military or a um, civilian agency acting under the color of authority of a branch of military. I'm now in the Ninth Circuit, but it involves the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. It involves the Coast Guard. It involves Military Sealift Command. It involves the Navy. It involves Naval Fleet Auxiliary Force. It involves the Department of Agriculture. It involves the courts. And now the the respondents, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board and the Coast Guard, are now defended by the Department of Justice Appellate Division and a Mr. Goldman, has and he seemed like a nice guy. I, I've talked to him a couple times. Um, I just am struck by the name Goldman, you know, with guys like Archie Morgan involved from you know the family line of J.P. Morgan. Um, he's been he's brought in as second chair. There's co-counsel now on the issues in before the Ninth Circuit, and then he even has an assistant. So they're taking this, you know, as I've been told myself. Uh, you know, by a number of people that they're taking this pretty seriously. But I'm up against a branch of military that I'm not in. And I'm defending myself amongst all other Americans out there, civilian or military, you know, because at some point if you're in the military and your wife is not, uh, she's not supposed to come in before a military tribunal. You know, this is clearly crossing the line. But effectively what they've done, and it's become much more clear after doing more and more digging and research, there were actually congressional hearings in 1946-47 before the United States Congress <clears throat> where the Coast Guard went because of what was going on. And there was you know, congressmen and senators who you know, vehemently declared um, before Congress that the Coast Guard's not a branch of military. And finally, the Coast Guard admitted on the record that they weren't so this is a debate that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, Captain C.A. Richmond uh, said that um, the Coast Guard, although organized along military lines, quote-unquote, 
uh, was was effectively or basically or fundamentally in the civilian arm of government. And that goes to the issues of Posse Comitatus and more. Now they're saying that they come under Title X and the Uniform Code of Military Justice in Homeland Security. They've voluntarily taken this on. Um, they are saying, and they're even using JAG counsel uh, against me in the proceedings, you know, in the lower proceedings, where the Coast Guard, that's a, saying it's a branch of military now, is acting as an administrative agency and using the Administrative Procedure Act, which is a very dangerous um, piece of legislation that's being abused. If anybody wants to gain or regain control of the United States and our government and have it of by and for the people, the Administrative Procedure Act is the key. Because even here with the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard took Title 33, which is navigation, and Title 46, which is shipping. Shipping is pretty much um, uh, things like the Shipping Commissioners Act, shipping articles, things uh, Jones Act, things that are protective to people who are employed in the shipping industry predominantly. And Title 33 is more, it's based in criminal law. I mean, even the Coast Guard has published this in the Federal Register. And that they used to go after people's licenses for things like murder, rape, molestation. And they coupled, you know, they had eight or nine or ten different serious criminal offenses. And coupled in there was incompetence. So it's clearly intended to be criminal incompetence of such a magnitude. And these proceedings have been stripped of the Coast Guard. Under Title 33, I believe they were taken under RS 4450. And then under um, Title 46, which was the Shipping Commissioners Act that they glammed onto and took over, which they're not supposed to do because it goes to the um, the shipping commissioners were intended for not resolving disputes between ship's officers and their operator. They were actually intended for the crew. And so what's happened is they started using the shipping commissioners not just for the crew. They said, oh, well, we'll use them for the, the um, officers as well. Then eventually the Coast Guard took over the Shipping Commissioners Act by defect or default, started replacing civilian personnel with their own military personnel to where they were using military personnel in a de facto or self-claimed branch of military. One of the reasons that Truman passed the Uniform Code of Military Justice in um, 47, because all these different branches of the military or ones that were saying that they were branches of the military and were not, had all these different varying codes. He did that to make it not only uniform for all branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines in the Department of Defense, but did so also so that it would apply only to men and women in uniform and not their spouses and, you know, kin and others. Um, the Coast Guard has taken on the Uniform Code of Military Justice in Title 10 independently itself, sua sponte, as it is in the Department of Homeland Security. It was placed under Title 14, separate and apart from Title 10 of the Department of Defense, as a federal maritime police agency. It's come from the um, Department of uh, Treasury and Department of Commerce, where the Bureau of Marine Inspection came from. And uh, even when it was formed in 1915, it was formed by two civilian organizations that came together prior to the war, and then in 1917, by executive order, were moved into the Department of War, and then in 1919, moved back to the Department of Treasury, 
you know, we don't get branches of military operating within normal agencies or departments or acting as a civilian agency and using military personnel to not only enforce the law, like the Water Pollution or um, Clean Water Act, and also the uh, Oil Pollution Act and EPA uh, Environmental Protection Act, a number of other laws. You've seen how in the BP incident in the Gulf, a branch of military acting under the color of authority of a civilian agency prevented people from figuring out what was going on and or investigating or flying over or taking samples of what was going on in the Gulf and protecting a foreign royal crown, you know, possession in British Petroleum or BP. Um, the Coast Guard, uh, I, you know, but I mean, forget about BP, forget about, and I'm not saying that those aren't important issues, and especially what went on in the Gulf, of course, and, you know, not even going back to Katrina and more. But the Coast Guard saying that it is a branch of military and that it can administer under the color of authority of what used to be a civilian agency is constitutionally disturbing and unsettling and should frighten many more people than are concerned by this. Um, if you start to really look into, like I mentioned before, about the creation of the TSA, where that came from, Coast Guard, Admiral Lloyd, who's now working for Lockheed Martin and others. But it's become extremely clear to me that the... Coast Guard has used not only the criminal law that's been taken away from it under Title 33 and administrative adjudications thereunder that have been stripped from it, but also Title 46, which was the Shipping Commissioners Act, which was benevolent, protective. Shipping commissioners were Article 3 judicial officers that were supposed to go out and settle disputes on the barrelhead, and it was predominantly the crew. They've taken these um, authorities that have been taken from them before and stripped, dusted off these old cases from when they used to do it, when it was taken away, use that as an example, come after me uh, as they moved from the Department of Transportation to Homeland Security, condemned me, declared me to be incompetent, not only to seize venue and also jurisdiction over me, but to reestablish and restart these courts that they didn't have proper authority for, you know, in the first place, and that it has been taken away from them, and to declare and have the Secretary of Homeland Security come out and put out a delegation, 0170.1, that the United States Merchant Marine, a civil and private and commercial you know, service, just like airlines and more, a little different, is now superintended by the Coast Guard, a branch of military police. Right, and flesh that out a little, because I think I understand where this is going, but for the uh, bricklayer in Cleveland or the farmer in Kansas who might not understand the uh, ins and outs of the Administrative Procedure Act or the Uniform Code of Military Justice, can you explain what this really means for them? You have no rights, no protections, there is no constitution. Because in the APA, they've even, hearsay within hearsay is admissible. Uh, even though these these proceedings that I'm in have been based on criminal law, uh, any and all provisions, and even though the Commandant has taken case law like Marion, which is criminal law, it's tied to Miranda and more, and taken it uh, where they had actually charged an individual named Wood uh, for murder in Coast Guard proceedings. He had actually killed somebody 
on board a ship in self-defense, the um, city or state prosecutor or uh, Department of Justice did not go after him because it was clearly self-defense. And it was not even clear if the guy died from the you know defensive wounds that he had inflicted or other ailments. I'm sorry, I hear the music coming up. The music is coming up. We're going to break, but we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back continuing to discuss with Eric Schein, CrossingTheRubicon.org. If you're interested in to get in on the conversation, 1-800-313-9443, and we'll be back right after these messages. here on Corbett Report Radio tonight talking to Eric Schein of CrossingTheRubicon.org about his ongoing experiences and what it means and what it shows us about the blurring of the line between military agencies and civilian agencies in this age where we're being prepped more and more to accept martial law as an on-the-ground reality. So getting back to that point, Eric, we're talking, of course, about dispute resolution and what types of procedures should be in place uh, when people are put on trial, so to speak, when their license is put on trial and their their uh, competence basically is questioned. And and we've talked a lot about what the system they're trying to engineer is, but really what is the system that, that should be in place for those types of uh, d- dispute resolutions? Well, if I've done something wrong and broken a law, they should come after me. I mean, part of the problem is the abuse, like you can even see it with this guy with the raw milk, <clears throat> where the enormous powers of the federal government. I mean, they, they, you can even see it in the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration fishery cases where they're imposing upon an individual and his family million-dollar fines that are going into the agency's, like, um, trust, you know, um, slush fund, for want of a better term, to where they're using it for travel and parties and all kinds of other stuff. And there's no legislative oversight. There's no judicial oversight. If these can, people can survive to even make it into a court, they're lucky. I'm up against a branch of military I'm not in. You th- what do you think the odds are that I'll survive, let alone make it into a court? The fact that I've even, I'm even before the Ninth Circuit, and whether or not the Ninth Circuit will actually take a serious look at this, and, you know, I mean, they really need to assign a special master. That's what the um, Secretary of Commerce did. Uh, and involving the same two ALJs that are sitting on my case to where the Secretary of Commerce had to issue a, a formal apology to these fishermen in Massachusetts and back east and also refund uh, close to three-quarters of a million dollars in fines that the agency had glommed onto and basically used the Administrative you know, Procedures Act and these administrative agencies to rob and pillage people. I don't know how a better way to say it, um, but you know uh, it was supposed to be hard, and you can you see this trend from the OJ trial and even before. It's supposed to be extremely, and I'm not saying whether OJ was guilty or not, but you can see all the machinations that go on around serious issues and how you know if you got enough money, you can you know play the system against itself. Um, at some point, it was supposed to be extremely difficult to find people guilty. And that's why we have this, you know, uh, uh, system of separation of powers with not only the legislative and the executive and the judicial. Part of the problem, though, is that even like in cases like Gideon versus Wainwright, 
or the right to counsel, which is a constitutional issue, um, you know, the guy wrote basically on toilet paper his appeal, and they gave him counsel and sent it back, and his case was overturned. So clearly having the right to counsel, especially when you're up against the state and or federal government, uh, is extremely important, whether it be in an administrative proceeding or in federal court. And you should have the best and the brightest, you know, on both sides so that it goes to the, the facts and it goes to the law so that the, that the facts are not gamed to game the law in favor of corporations, a certain particular party, an elite ruling class, that it goes to the truth of the matters. And herein, where they can use hearsay within hearsay, they used actually a, a Coast Guard medical officer in uniform on orders from the commandant, the appellate body, to come in and observe me in the proceedings and declare me to be medically mentally incompetent on how I defended myself against a branch of military that I'm not in. I mean, and nobody is, and people aren't, and I, I'm not, I don't mean to say this, um, I'm saying this figuratively, and people aren't up in arms about this, because at some point we live in a common law system, and whatever they can and do get away with doing to me, they can then use as precedence to use against anyone else or everyone else. And certainly you have encountered a lot of people in, in maybe not exactly similar conditions to yourself, but people who are uh, also experiencing various types of persecution for their whistleblowing on various matters. Uh, I mean, do you see the commonality of, of these cases kind of uh, coming together, or is it still separate at this point? Well, it's almost like, um, you know, when you get married and you, um, well, you've been married, you are married, um, I think 50 years or something or whenever you, you know, and some people do it before, but you, you renew your vows. And I think we're at the point right now where we need to look back at what our founders, and I'm not, I'm not talking about slavery. I'm not talking about three-fifths of a person. I'm not, I'm, you know, with all the lessons learned and uh, development and progression of society and civilization, I'm not looking to the um, ills that beset society and civilization and our founders upon their own birth. They didn't create the system that they were born into. They tried to correct it. I'm looking to the good things, like... One of the things that I've tried to press for in these proceedings myself is audiovisual recording. If they want to say I'm medically mentally incompetent, and because I will not allow them as a branch of military that I'm not in to compel me into a psych exam uh, or to obtain my records where they've already proven that they can't be trusted with them, they've falsified them, they've you know um, changed answers and said we're um, on an MMPI-2, and this goes to AV, uh, they're doing the same thing for airmen, and they've had a couple cases where, like, pilots with JetBlue or whatever have been taken off the planes, and I hear the music coming up again. It is coming once again, but you make and that's an a good like, song. Uh, it is, isn't it? Well, you make a, an extremely important point. I mean, in this day and age where they have CCTV on every corner watching everything you do, the idea that they can't do audiovisual recording of court proceedings is just ludicrous. But uh, we will get into that some more and many other issues besides with Eric Schein, CrossingTheRubicon.org, right after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Welcome back, friends, to Quarter Report Radio. Tonight we're talking to Lieutenant Eric Schein of CrossingTheRubicon.org, MarshallLaw911.com, and uh, and he his work and writings and other things have been appearing around the web. So just type his name into a search engine and you will find more about his case and the background of what we're talking about tonight. And uh, all roads lead back to the uh, the Coast Guard and the, the military tribunal that uh, that Eric Schein has been caught up in for the better part of a decade now. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about falsification of records. I don't know if you'd like to uh, pick up that point back up, Eric. Well, yeah, they were um, they were trying to use these MMPI twos. It's a Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Index. It's like a it's not it's a tool. It's not really a psych exam. I mean, they say it is, but it's more like a counseling tool that you take, like leaving high school to figure out what you know career you would be good in. Um, and a lot of people don't believe that they have much weight. Or value to them, some people do. Like if you, if you're inconsistent in your answers, it might be a sign of you know. Uh, I mean, it could be a sign of ADD or OCD or whatever, um, or it could just be a, a, a sign that you're not a good test taker, you know. Um, but they they had answers, and they altered them. There's one question on there that says, um, "Evil spirits possess me at times," and I answered false. And the Coast Guard presented it to itself, its own ALJs, that I said, true. So they're doing stuff like this, and if I had actually done anything, and there was actually any truth or merit to what they were doing, why would they have to falsify medical records? Why would they have to, why would a branch of military have to go after who they're saying is a civilian, not a naval officer, not in the Coast Guard, and seize and threaten doctors or people to give over records, personnel records, files, whatever, to a branch of military under the threat in their own um, uh, subpoenas that um, failure to do so will be um, punished. And and just to follow through on that point, I mean, you you bring a very specific, very important example of how they falsified a medical document. How did you find out about that, and then how did you protest that once you did? Well, I actually had an attorney. The attorney was forced upon me by the employer's the shipping companies. It's like working on the BP rig and you have the right to counsel as part of your, you know, benefits package as an employee, only to find out that that benefit is controlled completely by the employers to use against you in the event of an incident like the BP incident so that they can basically force counsel upon you to, if you've got any truth to say, to basically impeach you uh, or silence you by forcing their own counsel on you. So, um my and this is not the way all this was set up and there's supposed to be what they call a chinese wall it's basically a um you know, it goes to even separation of powers um to where there's a uh an ethical wall between my counsel and how i'm getting counsel to where they represent me and not who's necessarily paying them because it's derived from my my wages it's coming from me being an employee rather than paying me, you know, dollar for dollar for my wages as a benefit instead of giving me real wages in my pocket. I'm getting this benefit along with medical benefits and others. And a lot of this is actually paid for by federal contracts under federal trust by the federal government. <clears throat> and rather than, you know, following their fiduciary and or ethical responsibilities, they're using these systems against 180 degrees out of the intent 
And this was one of the things that I complained about, and it goes into a, a federal contracting or KETAM issue, to where the shipping companies and the union are all federal contractors, all federal employers. They're actually beyond that. They're general agencies of the United States signing general agency agreements, not general services agreements. It's a completely different thing to where the union and shipping companies, as these federal contractors, federal employers, general agencies of the United States, are paid on line items, just like Halliburton or KBR in Iraq, <clears throat> excuse me, to do certain things, and rather than doing them, they're not doing them, and then they're using like even legal resources that are there to protect me, to protect them from the things that they're not doing, like providing the licensed personnel board. So rather than doing and providing the licensed personnel board that is a line item in federal contracts, it's statutory. It's not just negotiated. This is it comes from statute under Admiralty, um, and our and our. Shipping articles that we work on and under. I sign uh, agreement with the captain, the ship's captain. I don't work for the chief or anyone else. I work for the captain, and then he, you know, is the representative of the ship operator. And we all work on standing orders, regardless of who you are, except you know the captain. And the captain is the one who sets the standing orders. Some of me can work with the chief engineer on setting, but they're basically supposed to be set and standing, so that anybody that walks on and off that ship. They're the same orders. Sorry, you know, you all comply, this is it, whatever. Um, our shipping articles are published by, and they're protected by, U.S. law, 46 U.S.C. 10302. Rather than providing this civilian, almost like the Civilian Aeronautics Board, the shipping companies and the union who are paid to provide this, and as a cost of doing business in the industry, and, and uh, resolving internal disputes at the cost of the industry, uh, borne by the industry, and not the individuals within the industry. Because if you start your first day of employment today, you should be in the same position as somebody who's worked 30 years. And if something happens on a ship, and you're next to somebody who's been there for 30 years, and it's your first day, you should have the same protections, you know, within reason. That at some point, if they're going to go before a board because of what happened, you should have the same rights to get before that board and, and not denied it because it's your first day on the job. Um, these systems, just like having a court, you know, those the public library, these are parts of the commons or public system that are supposed to be there, that are passed on from generation to generation so that if it's your last day or your first day, you have the same benefits as anybody who's been working in this industry to protect you. Um, in my industry, I got my license and degree by congressional grant, I was appointed, or, you know, nominated to the academy congressionally, and appointed to the academy um, by the executive branch and a naval commission. My naval commission says on it that I'm serving on special duty in the United States Merchant Marine uh, on special duty, and so my naval commission and my service in the United States Merchant Marine are inextricably tied. And the Coast Guard, a special branch of military that's not supposed to be a branch of military, that's civil service, a federal maritime police force, uh, because I know and understand this stuff, have done my research and homework, <clears throat> and have benefited from a $300,000 education paid for by the taxpayers, and I'm trying to uphold the law and correct things and hold these people accountable, like the shipping companies in the union, to do what they're supposed to do. They're working with the Coast Guard and Homeland Security to replace this civilian federal maritime board 
that they're supposed to, that they're actually funded to not only create and maintain, but eventually take over and fund off of, you know, uh, a cost of doing business. Um, they've replaced it with a military tribunal to where you're not, you can't go in and defend yourself or what happened on a ship where a ship operator has taken action against you and fired you. Now you're being prosecuted. I was actually in federal district court going after the shipping companies, two big boys who've been around forever. One's tied to Roosevelt and Bush family and, you know, Union Banking Corp and the Nazis and three companies that were shut down by the, you know, uh, Roosevelt administration uh, from the Bush family, along with Matson that's been, um, you know, shipping between Hawaii since the 1800s and my own union that's been around since the 1800s. So they know how to play the game. And they're trying to and have used the Coast Guard in these military tribunals to file a counter complaint against me, pull me out of civil court, quash the civil complaints, free speech, First Amendment violations, and then have me declared incompetent by how I defend myself against a branch of military and a military tribunal as a civilian and use military personnel and military officers, even a military judge and a military JAG officer as the prosecutor to have me declared in the proceedings because I, I would I refuse to be compelled uh, by a branch of military I'm not in into a psych exam. So they even they falsified medical records. They even took the weight because I wouldn't go and be compelled into a psych exam. They took the weight of evidence that did not exist by my refusal to be forced under a psych exam and weighted the lack of evidence against me saying that, well, you must have something to hide. Even though uh, we tried to do one of these, and we went, I went with an attorney and a videographer uh, to one of these you know, mock uh, ex-party hearings before a quote-unquote psychiatrist or psychologist, he thought I was in the Coast Guard. As soon as I started asking questions and finding out what was going on, he would not allow the attorney to be present. He would not allow it to be recorded in any way, even though California laws uh, allows uh, audio recording. Uh, the federal government and state governments should be requiring audio and visual recording in, the, in this day and age. And he thought I was in the Coast Guard, had no standards whatsoever, and was part of the state court in San Diego, the adult human or health services, whatever, which is much like child protective services, where you want to have your parents taken over, declared incompetent, and steal their property. You know, and that's what uh, uh, corrupt individuals use these um, systems for. And where, where it's not above board and on the record to where it can be recreated, where it's in audio-visual recording, anybody else can look at it and go, yeah, he was running around the room pulling out his hair, uh, taking off his clothes. Uh, it's obvious. Um, it's not necessarily obvious when, like in the proceedings before um, Lieutenant Commander Walter J. Brzezinski, who's one of the individuals that um, Special Master Swartwood went after as appointed by the Secretary of Commerce, um, Brzezinski kept trying to say that I was basically like rushing the bench. I'm sitting there, not doing anything. And he's like, Mr. Shine, Mr. Shine, Mr. Shine, Mr. Shine, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I'm sitting there not doing anything. And he would call in Federal Protective Services and do all this and fill the record. And if you saw him doing this on audiovisual, you'd be going like, he's crazy. This guy's a nut job. Not me, but the judge. But in the, in the transcripts, it paints a completely different picture. And when you read them, it's almost to the point where people who don't know or weren't there, it prejudices you against me because you read them and you're like, 
wow, he's just sitting there arguing with the judge. And you get this only because the judge is saying that I'm arguing with him when I'm only objecting to what is objectionable in the court and trying to say why I'm objecting and just make it a matter of record and move on. Well, Eric, it's something that we've talked about a number of times in our conversations, and we've we've talked about the, how we're a common law system and what applies to one person will apply to everyone and how these types of cases really are precedent-setting in terms of the way that they're going to really start to to move the civilian licensed personnel boards and things out of the way in, in favor of military tribunals and all of the other aspects of this that we've talked about. But I'd like to get your take on how you think this is really going to play out from here. Let's say if the Coast Guard does get away with this and does manage to really set the precedent with a case like yours. It's, what, it's will, a, how will that play out? It's a seed. Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines will glom onto it, and then overnight you'll have five branches of military instead of the four constitutional branches, all saying that they can administer civilian law. Under under not, not a constitutional system of the federal courts that have actively been pushed to be shut down, where they're laying off clerks and more, uh, I think one point something percent of our budget actually goes to the court, which is supposed to be a co-equal branch of government to where uh, I think it's, you know, if you include Veterans Administration and more, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the veterans, of course, but if you look at our, our military expenditures, the majority of which uh, is not only going to the executive branch, but is going to the military and not our civil defense protection systems like our courts, like our fire department, like our police, um, tow truck service, uh, you know, whatever, any, any and all our libraries, hospitals, uh, any and all civil services and or portions of the common that, you know, like the air, the air is something that we all share, rich and poor. That's part of this, you know, civilian public commons. And we need to realize that at some point, if the water is polluted, it's polluted for all of us, rich and poor. If the air is polluted, it's polluted for all of us, rich and poor. If the courts are corrupted, they are corrupted for all people, rich and poor. And at some point, just because you have money, you think you may be able to get away with murder. At some point, if the if the courts and other civil services become so corrupted, it will eat you along with everyone else. I don't care how rich you are, how well-connected you are. All you have to do is look at Nazi Germany, uh, Italy, under Mussolini, uh, Pinochet, uh, any other quote-unquote military dictatorship. And that's where you look, go when you have the military dictating law and or adjudicating law or enforcing law or policing law or regulating or making regulations. Um, this needs to be nipped in the bud, and it's been nipped in the bud before, because the Coast Guard has done this over and over and over again. And there are forces, there are people, there are families, there are corporate interests who are and want to use the Coast Guard as that battle of the bulge in crossing the Rubicon and using military forces to impose their will upon the 99%. In a way, almost that is the, the best, not the best defense, but it is a, in the end a defense against this. The people who try to ride the tiger are inevitably eaten by that tiger. Mm, be more clear? Well, as you're pointing out, I mean, it's the corruption of the system, which at first, of course, always serves the interests of these money deletes, oh, right. but it eventually turns on itself and starts eating them as well. Well, and, and or their children or others that, you know... Um, 
uh, I've talked to um, people who are doctors uh, uh, who I'm familiar with and are familiar with what's going on here, where even though they're in a pretty somewhat insulated position because they're a doctor, their kids have gone been gone after because of the military police state that is arising around us, and they see it, and, and they fear for their own children and grandchildren, and they realize, and some of these are Germans, some are Jews, and some have roots back to Europe and, and uh, you know, specifically Germany and Italy and other countries. You know, you can't uh, ignore the close proximity of Germany to Italy and what went on in Germany and Italy and Spain and other countries. I mean, I didn't realize um, until more recently the length of um, how long Franco was in power in Spain. And we think that we, you know, uh, that, that the, the rule of kings and queens and by guillotine has somehow gone away or went away in the early 1900s. When you really look back in history, we're kind of living in the same age, if not even worse, than we were 100 years ago. Well, I mean, forget even kings and queens. A lot of people talk about fascism as if it's some sort of abstract concept that never actually existed on this planet, and there it was, you know, 60 years ago. Well, and many of the families and individuals who were tied to it back then are still, whether they be eugenicists or uh, part of the military-industrial complex, they're still involved in it now. And I would point to the Bush family as one. One of many, but yes, another important one in our current political context. All right, well, on that note, we'll be back to wrap things up with Eric Schein, once again, crossingtherubicon.org, right after these messages. myself today to see if I All right, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio in the final moments of tonight's broadcast. I am, of course, your resident truth ninja here in Japan, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we've been talking to Eric Schein of CrossingTheRubicon.org about his ongoing ordeal, and now before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and has there been a decision made whether or not the Ninth Circuit is going to sit through this, or how is this going to work out? No, at this they're going to hear it. I mean, as long as I get the briefing and whatever and do what I have to do, but I'm pro se. Um, I've been declared medically mentally incompetent. I'm representing myself against a branch of military before the Ninth Circuit. It's like, um, I mean, people, the Ninth Circuit itself should be like, holy crap. Excuse my French. They should be like, oh, my God. What, where are we? What is going on? And and to protect themselves, to protect their own families, to protect their own lineage, they should be going like we have to step in. I asked for counsel. They just, you know, um, I, you know, I, it. Where I'm at is as political as the executive branch. I I hope that they consider the issues and disregard any hatred towards me or dislike of me as an individual or 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 uh, some belief or whatever that I'm somehow crazy um, and look at the issues and go, you know, regardless, 
Um, just like in Gideon versus Wainwright, I think the guy was accused of petty theft or burglary or something. But because he didn't have counsel, he was found guilty and put away for 20, 30 years, whatever. Um, he appealed on a piece of toilet paper or tissue or whatever. Uh, back in the day when you could actually get away with that, you could do that now. They just, you know, ignore you. Um, and because they took it serious and realized that, you know, I don't care how the appeal makes it to us if it's a, a, a you know, carrier pigeon. Um, and we got to pull the uh, note off the carrier pigeon somehow. Uh, we're going to hear this because it's it's about what's right and wrong. It's about you know having a because God forbid if any one of us or our family members ended up in his position by defect or default, uh, uh, one way or another, and we didn't know about it, couldn't intercede, we would hope that the system would be there to so that he could protect himself somehow. Um, and that's not our system today. And um, I want to throw in real quick that um, www.marshallaw911.com, M-E-R-T-A-I-A-L-L-A-W-91.com, and Crossing the Rubicon, C-R-O-S-S-I-N-G-T-H-E-R-U-B-I-C-O-N.org, CrossingTheRubicon.org. You can go to those sites. Um, James has all kinds of interviews up there. I really need an angel or many angels um, cause I'm in some pretty deep doo doo right now and, um, I can't get myself out of it. I'm trying. I'm before the Ninth Circuit. Uh, what they've done is they ballooned the case over the course of 12 years to where you've got to basically say in a number, a brief number of pages, it's one reason why they call it a brief, I guess, um, to where you really need a, an admiralty proctor or appellate specialist, somebody that would charge 75 to a couple hundred thousand dollars to write the appeal. To do this, and I'm somehow doing it myself. Yeah, the cards are stacked against you, you might say. Um, yeah. And absolutely, I hope people not, not who have not the Rorschach cards, right? Right. Well, well, I hope people who haven't looked into this will do so. And once again, as you say, there's there's tons of conversations on CorbettReport.com. Just type Eric Shine into the search box, and you can bring them up. And uh, certainly, CrossingTheRubicon.org, MarshallLaw911.com, great places to go for information about this. Eric Shine, once again, thank you for the update and keep us updated. Thanks, James. Appreciate having you on. Having me on. All right. Well, to all of you out there for listening, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking to you again tomorrow night at the same time, same station. So, talk to you then. <laughs>